uh, first like to say thank you so very much, all of the men who came and worked here at the church. You probably noticed as you came in, we have uh, new rocks and such out front. Uh, these need to be washed down a little bit more, and and uh, but uh, the men worked hard. We have black dirt on this side of the building all up and down to keep it from leaking into the basement. We've had a leak for a while there, and I'll tell you, we have some workers here in this church. When I say workers, I'm talking about men who can work. And I was out there trying to keep up with them, and I was hobbling along there, and and I, I just barely could make it. But uh, the men really did work, and I appreciate it so very much. By the way, I brought two shovels over here and took one home. Somebody uh, inadvertently picked up my shovel. So if you have one, it's got a red piece of tape around it, the handle of it. Uh, maybe maybe somebody picked up yours, and you thought that was yours that you picked up, but I do have a shovel missing. It's only good stewardship, see, that I try to keep up with. <clears throat> All right, uh, Psalm 121. Verse 1 and 2. <clears throat> Psalm 121, verse 1. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. All right, you may be seated. <clears throat> and I want to talk about hilltop living this morning. I believe that God would uh, honor us in this particular subject. Psalm 121, verse 1, I'll read it again. I will lift up mine eyes into the hills, from whence cometh my help. Now, this particular Psalm is not trying to state that a mountain is the source of our strength because verse 2 says, My help cometh from the Lord. It's just that in the Scripture, time and time and time and time and time and time again, you will find great events occurring on the tops of mountains. And you will also find that God continues throughout the Scripture to use examples in which he compares victory to mountaintop experiences. Now, it is a common thing for you to be talking to someone that does not know one scripture in the Bible and hear them say, I'm in the valley today. And it is a very common thing for you to hear people say, I'm on the mountaintop. Now, I realize that it is hard for us to evaluate where we are all the time. I believe that you can really be in the valley as far as circumstances are involved, and yet in your mind, you can still have victory and be on the mountaintop. See, you, you can do that. 
And uh, I do meet, uh, I, I meet a lot of people that are just really negative in their walk with God. And you see a lot of people who are just really negative about life. And, and a lot uh, uh, of it uh, is really contingent upon how you look at situations, how you view different situations. There are some people that can go through a very hard struggle, and they, they seem to never get down in the dumps. They seem to never get discouraged. They're not depressed. They're always on the mountaintop. And you see others that the least little old thing will just throw them for such a curve that they can't hardly survive. Now, there are some people because of their upbringing and such that they just, uh, they're just negative by nature. They just, you just can't do much with them. They're just really negative. They can receive the Holy Ghost. Uh, they get a whole lot of God. And then it's hard for you to constantly point their attention to, to the Lord. Now, I'm not trying to say that all of your walk with God is a mind game. I do not believe that. It's not just a psychological thing. Nevertheless, I do believe that how you accept and how you think concerning certain things determines the outcome indeed. You know, if I were the devil... I would know how to defeat a lot of people because I have observed people close enough to know that, that the least little thing, all I would have to do to some of you to get you down the dumps is just let you have or make you have a flat on your car. See? Or make you have some little situation in which you have a little cross with a brother or sister. You know, I could really, I could really get you and the reason why I know that, because I know the devil gets you. See? And, and a lot of it is determined by the way you think about certain things. Now, I'll just give you a little story here about thinking, and uh, maybe this will, will get your mind on the right track. There was a man who was having a whole lot of problems smoking cigarette, with smoking cigarettes. And he was wanting to quit smoking, but he just couldn't quit. He just tried everything in the world, and he just couldn't, couldn't quit uh, smoking cigarettes. Well, he went to his preacher, and he said, I want to ask you a question. He said, can I smoke when I pray? So the preacher says, well, no, you can't smoke when you pray. Well, he wanted to smoke so badly. And, and you know, he just he didn't know. And, and these long hours in prayer, see, he was, he was a chain smoker, and he just couldn't make it. So he thought, well, if that won't work, I'll just find something that will work. So he went back to the preacher, and he said, now, preacher, let me ask you a question. Is it all right if I pray while I smoke? You see, uh, <clears throat> not one ounce of difference in it, but one sounds a lot worse than the other. Smoking while you're praying and praying while you're smoking. See, there's no really no difference. But uh, one of them was given the way it was because it was meant to be ex an acceptable pattern, see. When, when you think of a man praying while he's smoking, uh, 
You think of a man who's hooked on the habit and he's praying trying to get rid of his habit. But if you think of a man who is smoking while he's praying, you think of a guy who doesn't give much thought to prayer and so he's taking it so casual and, and he's desecrating uh, the altar of the Lord by, by smoking. But the truth of the matter is there's, no, there's really no difference in, in the two except what is in your mind the way you've accepted, the way you look at it, see. And, and this is also true in many situations. The way that you tell something largely determines how you have accepted or you haven't accepted. And uh, there are two people can have the same identical problem. I mean, the very same identical problem. And uh, one person looks, as, looks at the problem in, a, in such a different way that uh, it becomes a real challenge to him. And he looks at uh, all the crises as real stepping stones to, to a great walk with God, while uh, others look at those as being stumbling stones that, uh, you know, I just can't hardly make it. Just really can't hardly make it. And as I stated, I do not believe that serving God is altogether just a figment of the imagination or the mind. But I do believe the way you accept certain things determines whether or not you will indeed have the victory when all the storm passes over. I really believe that. Now, we have a few people in our church that it does not make any difference what comes. They're always smiling. Now, we've got some people that they're always smiling. They're always, in other words, it doesn't make any difference what they tell you. They're always laughing about it. And they just cannot seem to erase a smile from their face. Now, I wish I could be that way, but I'm not always that way. Sometimes I turn my smile upside down, and I wear it that way for a while. And I get to feeling sorry for myself, and I have a pity party. And, uh, you know, everything is just, you know, I just, oh, I just really, and it just makes me feel so good when my wife comes by and tells me, yes, you know, you, you really, you're really going through it, and, and uh, I'm praying for you, and I just feel so good about it that, that I almost get the victory, you know, just here in the bad side. There are other people who can become problem-oriented. I have actually seen people that when things were going so good that, uh, that uh, they weren't happy. Like one lady said, she said, I know for sure we're in for, we're in for a real problem here at the church because uh, I can just tell you that the devil is about to launch the greatest attack that this church has ever seen. Why? Because things are going so good. <clears throat> Everything is going good. So I know it's not so good. See? Now, haven't you you've seen people that way? They're not happy unless they have something to cry about. That's it's kind of a reverse psychology, and they kind of pull this on themselves all the time. And so, when things are going good, they they look for the bad. I mean, they really look for the bad. And there are people who can come into the church, receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and we have some very good meaning people who will right away inform them, now, you're not going to always be on the mountaintop, and you watch the devil's going to come tomorrow, and he's going to hit you broadsided and knock you between the eyes and stomp all over you, and, and uh, you, 
This time next week, you won't even know if there's a God. <clears throat> I don't know if it's ever been told quite that way. But, uh, <clears throat> and you know what they do? They go home, and the first thing they do, they begin to look for, for the devil. And they wonder where he is. And uh, they get out of the bed the next morning. You know, they, they slip out of bed and, and uh, fall underneath the, the bed and look out, and they wonder, where the, where's the devil? They don't see him anywhere, and they're disappointed. You know, they think, well, what's, what's wrong? Now, I, I actually had a lady to come and tell me. She said, I don't really know uh, what went wrong. I said, what do you mean? Well, somebody told me the devil's really going to get me this weekend. He wasn't there. I was told that after I received the Holy Ghost, and I just wondered what, what the problem is. See? I said, well, you... There's no problem in that. Well, I was told that he was really going to get me. And it seemed like I just had a great week. And I just thought maybe something was wrong. <clears throat> now, I know that you can relate to this. And there are times when... Uh, let me ask you this. To be honest, have you gone like six months and you hadn't been sick and nothing went wrong and all of a sudden you begin to wonder what uh, what's going on here? Everything's right. Has it ever happened to you? Now, come on now, some of you, you know that, that I'm telling you the truth. And, and you begin to wonder if things are extremely right or things are extremely wrong because nothing adverse has happened. We are geared in our present world to negative things. Now, this is not a PMA rally this morning. It really isn't. But uh, And I do not believe that all the things that you read in positive mental attitude books uh, is applicable to Christian living. I do not believe that. I believe that there is a touch of humanism involved in a lot of PMA books, teaching you to depend upon yourself and you can be what you want to be separate and apart from God. So I am not getting involved in this type of thing this morning, but I do know that your level of success largely is determined by the way you think. Now notice what happens in here. In the verse 21, I will lift up mine eyes. And I think the secret of this is lifting up your eyes. See, you can't just go around with your head toward the ground all the time. Have you ever talked with somebody that wouldn't look at you, lift up their face, and look at you right in the eye? You know, you've seen people like that, that, that they were always looking down or looking around. And uh, you knew that they had a complex about themselves. They, they did not accept themselves for what they were. Their self-worth was low. Uh, they had no self-esteem at all. And I do not think that we should think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. But nevertheless, we who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lord and perfect love has taken away all fear. We have no reason to fear anyone. And we have no reason to have a complex because Jesus has set us free. That it becomes a, a, an easy thing indeed to just look a man right in the eye. I mean, what can he do? He's not going to pull out a knife and kill you simply because that you, that you lifted up your head and looked at him. You know, he's not going to slap you down. You know. But, but there are certain people that, that, that are this way. And, and uh, I do a lot of conversing with people. I'm going to point out a number of things here that I think will be good for some of you. And I know that I've been teaching on Christian stewardship, and we've been in, in more of a development, spiritual development program here in the last six months, and we have been involved in an outreach program. 
But uh, I see little things about people that tell me how they're thinking. You know, and, and, and I have never seen a negative person who had great faith in God. Now you think about it. I have never seen a negative person who have had great faith in God. And there are some people when they talk to you, they want to cover their mouth all the time. Now when uh, Sister Grant and I first married, I don't know if I should tell this or not, you always run out and tell her things. You say, every time I mention her, uh, <laughs> uh, then, then when we go and eat, or go out and eat or something, she'll say, oh, I heard you preached about me today. <clears throat> so I want to know, who's going to go tell Sister Grant? What I said, okay? Sherry, you can be dismissed right now. <laughs> Sherry's going to run and tell. Well, when we first got married, <laughs> when, we first got, when we first got married, Sister Grant, every time she'd talk, she'd put, hold her hand up like this, her finger up like this. And uh, she'd, she'd talk. Now, I've seen a lot of people doing that. Have you ever seen people talk like that? You ever seen that? So I'd ask Sister Grant, I said, uh, you got something on your finger that smells good or something? You know, I said, what's a, you know, well, you always have your finger up underneath your nose like that when you talk, you know. And Now, please understand, I had a lot of bad habits, too, and she broke me of those, you know. But she'd always do that, and every time we'd go someplace and she'd talk, she'd go like this. Now, the reason why that people do that is because that they, they're very self-conscious of what they're saying. And they do not have confidence in what they're doing. And the reason why that people sometimes in their walk with God do not lift up their eyes. Now when I say lift up their eyes, I am basically talking in a spiritual sense. But I think if your eyes are indeed lifted up in a spiritual sense, your physical eyes will be lifted up also. It's because they do not really have confidence in what they're doing and the God that they serve. In other words, you wouldn't, there is no logical reason why that a person who has perfect confidence that Jesus Christ can overcome all satanic powers and forces can drive away all evil and deliver you from every snare that the devil has. There's no reason why then that a Christian should go around negative all the time. And if he goes around negative, it's because he really does not possess the confidence in God that he needs. Now Paul says, cast not away thy confidence, which has great recompense of reward. And you and I must have constant confidence in God. Now, what happened here in this particular psalm, and of course the psalms deal with uh, different emotional levels. You will find some psalms that, that talk about distress, some talk about sorrow, some talk about purity, some psalms talk about great sin. And so you can find uh, a, a variation of emotional levels throughout the psalms. But there's one thing that you will find that the whole purpose of the Psalms is to create within you such confidence that, that regardless of what you're involved in, that, that God will come and He will indeed deliver you and He will indeed pick you up. And uh, there are so many contrasting things that are found in the book of, 
of the Psalms. But uh, today, it appears that in this particular scripture, that what he's saying, I will lift up mine eyes, my spiritual eyes, I will lift them, I will not look down, I cannot look down. Psalm 120 verse 1, In my distress I cried unto the Lord, and He heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. Somebody has been falsely accused. Somebody has been ridiculed. Somebody has received a very bad report about themselves. And somebody understands that their confidence among the brotherhood has been destroyed. But then the psalmist says, I, however, will lift up mine eyes. I have not cast away my confidence in God, even though man has failed me and I have failed man. I will keep my eyes unto the hills, which cometh my strength. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. And you'll find this statement about creation many, many, many times when the greatness of God is spoken of. Because there is no shape, form, or fashion in which the greatness of God is greater displayed than in creation. And this is the reason why that the new birth is such an outstanding event in the New Testament. See, the Old Testament starts out, in the beginning, God created. The New Testament, when I say New Testament, I'm talking about the New Covenant that started in the book of Acts. The New Covenant starts out with a rebirth of 120 in the upper room. Now, friend, this was more than Reformation. It was more than a change of mind. It was more than the programming of individuals to be positive. It was indeed a new creation. For we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. So the Old Testament basically talks about the creation of the heavens and the earth. And the New Testament talks about the creation of human beings that were made and fashioned in the likeness of God after that they had been destroyed by the evil forces of iniquity. And so when he says, I will lift up to mine eyes unto the hills which cometh my strength, my help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He's talking about a God that's big enough to breathe. The Bible says that God breathed upon the waters. Can you, can you imagine a God that's so great that all he has to do is speak the word? In the beginning, God said... See, all God had to do to make the heavens and the earth was just to say, let there be an earth. And there was an earth. Now, that's mind-boggling. Now, the reason why that I'm stating what I'm stating, you see, in the PMA books, they will teach you that if, if you need to change your mode of living, totally restructure it, you need to change your thinking so that you have confidence in yourself. But the confidence that we have in ourself, separate and apart from God, is not scriptural. And in the Bible, we have self-confidence because our confidence is in God. 
a power and a source outside of ourselves. Where would we be without God? Where would we be without God? Now I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah. Here is a passage of Scripture that I'd like to call your attention to. Just in the foundational work of this message, Isaiah the 6th chapter, Isaiah is transformed in a great vision that he had. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne. Now, where was the throne? It was high and it was lifted up. We sing this chorus. I see the Lord. Did you sing it this morning, Brother Rich? I thought I heard you singing. I was downstairs taking care of a little business. And I thought I heard you singing that chorus. I see the Lord. I see the Lord. He is high and He's lifted up. And His train filled the temple. And the reason why that in the Bible, the reason why you always find this particular uh, phrase mentioned, the Lord is high and is lifted up. Because there's something about the highness and the lifting up that, that we are lower and we lift up ourselves and we receive strength from God that's above us. It keeps us reaching up. It keeps us reaching up. And so, as a result, our, our hope is there. Our hope is there. Every now and then you find somebody, when you ask them how they're doing, they say, I'm way down on the bottom of the barrel. In fact, I'm reaching up to reach bottom. In other words, the bottom fell out. They're not even in the barrel anymore. Like one preacher said when he came here, somebody came up to him and said, Oh, you're over the hill. He said, Well, I didn't know I was over the hill because I never remember getting on top of it. See? But I really think that Christians have the ability that regardless of what happens on the right or on the left, that they have the ability to keep constant fidelity and hope in God and not be depressed all the time. Look in the New Testament. When the men were placed in jail, you cannot show me one prayer of any man who prayed in a jail cell that prayed for himself. When Peter was placed in, in prison... What did he pray? He said, And now, Lord, stretch forth your hand and perform signs and wonders and miracles among your people as you promised the prophets of old that you would do. What was he doing? He was manifesting constant confidence in God's Word. If God said that He would be a miracle-working God, He will be a miracle-working God. Now the people gathered and they prayed for him, but when he prayed, he didn't pray for himself. He didn't sit down there and say, Oh God, now what am I going to do? I wonder if my friends have enough money. I wonder if they're taking them an offering to get my bail. And I wonder if I can get out of this place. Now please understand, I don't know what I'd do if I were in jail. You know, I may just sit down there and just, I don't know how I'm going to react when I'm placed in a situation I've never been placed in before. And, and it does appear that if our liberty and freedom is lost in our country like it has in the last 20 years, that 20 years from now this preacher may be in jail. Because our liberty and freedom is evaporating quickly. 
So 20 years, and I'm not going to stand here and say, oh, it doesn't make any difference what situation I'm in. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm just glad to say that as of now, that regardless of what God has allowed me to be in, He's made a way of escape. I didn't make it, He did. I didn't deliver myself, but He did. And I believe He will continue to deliver me if I keep my confidence in Him. If I keep looking up, if I keep believing that my strength cometh from above, you will notice one thing in the kingdom of God, that every creature that God has created always has the power to reach down and lift up the creature beneath it. But the creature above it, the creature above it, Man does not have the power to elevate himself to that particular creature. It's always God reaching down for man. It's always man reaching down for the things in the earth. The cow reaches down for the grass, plucks the grass. It's the greater kingdom reaching down for the minor kingdom. It's the superior reaching down for the subordinate. This is the way it always is. And I want to make sure that my hands are always outstretched toward Him so that when He reaches down, my heart is ready to receive Him. And you see, this was the situation here in the book of Isaiah. God needed somebody to herald the message of coming destruction upon the household of Israel. And Isaiah saw the Lord, and when he saw Him, He was high, and He was lifted up, and His train filled the temple. The Bible tells us about all of the host of the angels and such that were there. And then, of course, one angel was crying to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. You believe the earth is full of His glory? All you have to do is look around you. The earth is indeed full of the glory of God. You take a man, you take a man like Job. Now Job was a man who had every reason in the world to become discouraged. Now I don't know if I'm going to ever be tested like Job. I don't know if I could take it. I'm sure if I can't take it, God wouldn't allow me to be tested. For he said he would not bring anything upon me that I am not able to bear. And when God allows you to be tested, friend, He carefully examines whether you can or cannot make it. So it does not really make any difference what comes your way. God has already predetermined that you can make it if you want to make it. And if you fail, it's simply because you just didn't try hard enough. But this situation came to Job and, and the whole book of Job uh, occurred over a period of exactly one year. Sometimes we think of Job that he lived with all these great sorrows all of his life, and that's not true. It happened in the course of a year. But in one year, what happened to him? He lost his children. He lost all of his wealth. He lost everything. And when this all happened, what did he say? He said, Naked came I into the world, and naked shall I return. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And though 
later when great boils and sores came upon him, the Bible says that Job's response was this, Though God slay me, yet will I trust Him. He had perfect confidence. And you know, he momentarily got down in the dumps. I can show you in the book of, of Job where, where he made statements and, 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 and he just he wanted to die so bad. He wanted to just leave this, this world. His friends all came in. They tried to discourage him. His wife, who was not a help at all, said, Why don't you just curse God and die? Is that right? She was no help to him. So he had no earthly human being around him. But one of Job's friends slipped out one day, and he told the rest of them, he said, Job is in league with the, with the stones of the field. See, the psalmist said the earth declares his glory. Isaiah said the earth declares his glory. What do you mean he's in league with the stone of the field? You see, when Job prayed, the heavens were shut up like brass. He couldn't hear God. This was an extreme trial that he was going through. But you see, with all of his wealth and everything gone and, and, and big boils all over him, he went down to the to the dump, so to speak, and he picked up uh, these big pieces of old clay and scratched himself. And, and, you know, the stench from his sores was so nauseating that his friends didn't even want to be around him. Oh, it was terrible. But while he walked across the field, he saw stones of all different shapes. And when the Bible says that Job was in league with the stones, the earth declares his glory. Every time Job saw a stone, my God made this. He said he did. You see, he saw God in things that other people didn't see God in. And while they were saying, Job, you can't hear from God. Listen, Job was seeing God in creation. Every bird that flew over told him that he had a redeemer. Every time he heard the water babble in the brook, reminded him of the cleansing power of the sacrifice. Every time the wind blew, reminded him of the Spirit of God that breathed upon him. He knew too much. He was in league with creation. He saw his Redeemer and knew that he lived. Even though he did not verbally talk with him as he had in the past, he knew that there was a God and he would not cast away his confidence. Oh yes, he was in the straits and he felt, you know, down and out occasionally. But basically, he was a man who lifted up his eyes and constantly kept his eyes on God. And as a result, friend, he was vindicated of God. And God gave him back all of his wealth and gave him back his household. And besides that, he became twice as wealthy as he was before. And not only that, he wrote a book in the Bible. Praise God, praise God, praise God. And this is what Peter was doing when he was in prison. He wasn't praying for himself, and he wasn't having a pity party. And as I said before, I have not passed this test yet. Because I've never been in prison. I've never spent the night in jail at all. I've been in a jail before, but only to visit others. Now, I don't know what I'd do if I were to be placed in jail, so I'm not going to stand here and brag and tell you what I'd do. But I want my confidence to be in God. And wasn't this true with, with Paul and Silas at Philippi when they were placed in prison? 
What did they do at midnight? Oh, God, get us out of here. What are we going to do? I mean, this is terrible. And Christians are so persecuted, and they're just so, oh, it's just terrible. I don't know. You know, the Lord's going to have to come back to deliver His elect because we can't take this much longer. What are we going to do? Poor guys. You know? <clears throat> I mean, that's bad, isn't it? I mean, what would you do if you were in prison? See, think about it for a moment. And I'll assure you one thing, friend. They didn't have color TVs and running water <clears throat> in, in, in the jail cells during their day. See? And here they were. But at midnight, what did they do? They sang songs, hymns. Praise God. I see the Lord. I see the Lord, He is high and lifted up. Having a pity party? Oh, we're having fun. Praise God. <clears throat> you believe that these stocks are able to hold us, Paul? They probably weren't even worried about it. In fact, I feel quite confident they weren't worried about it. You see, they had determined that the work of God would go on even inside a jail. It was not going to stop them. That was the confidence that they had in God. And oh, what a great, great vindication God gave them. At midnight, what happened? As they sung the songs, an earthquake came. And it shook the place. And it shook so hard that it shook off all those stocks and those chains fell right off their arms and their legs. Now you notice how quickly God can reverse a situation. Now here's a jailer there with a drawn sword and he said, if these guys come out, I'm going to kill them. Because that was his job to guard them. But when God got a hold of that jail... And when God shook that sail, and when God set them free, you notice what happened? Instead of him being after them, he was going to kill himself. Now you notice just in a moment's time how God can reverse a situation. And some situation that seems to be the sinker of your life. I'm at the real biggie, the thing that's going to take you under. You'll find out that if your confidence is in God, and you don't really know how it's going to happen, but in a moment's time, God can take that which would be disastrous, that which would destroy you, and He can turn around and it'll be the greatest thing that ever happened to you. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. That's just the way our Lord is. Isn't that right? I say that's just the way our Lord is. He can take a situation that you would think would destroy you, and He can bring about such great victory. You see, Christianity is the only religion in the world that teaches from every bad thing can come something good. Now, I use the word can. But sometimes Christians feel from every good thing can come something bad. And that may be true. Because I think you can take the blessings of God and abuse them. And those blessings can become a curse to you. Isn't that true? 
I mean, you've seen people fast and pray, and we just called uh, several uh, of you, we just called your attention to a situation that we had here in which we fasted and prayed for a young man that he get a job. And he came into the church, he quit the job he had because that the job he had was not a, an honorable job. So he quit it. We fasted and prayed to get a job, in which we did, and he let his job take him away from the house of God. He's not coming to church anymore. And that all happened overnight. See? Now, God didn't intend for it to be that way. It's just your attitude relative to that. See? It just takes you away. You fast and pray. Brother Grant, pray. I said, no, not only do that, I'll fast for you. We'll seek God. You need a job. He got a job, and he's been in church once or twice since. And see, that can happen. But uh, we don't want to become so negative in our thinking that, that, that uh, all we think about is, well, from ever a good thing can come something bad. You know? Otherwise, we program ourselves for defeat. Be like the man who changed the situation around. Can I pray while I'm smoking, or can I smoke while I'm praying? We don't want that to happen to us. But Joseph was a man who was placed in prison. He had the dream. And he had the dream that all of his brothers would bow down to him. And they didn't like it. They thought, well, we'll destroy this young man. And they were going to kill him. And the elder son, Reuben, said, oh, let's don't do that. Let's his blood be on our hands. They sold him to the Midianites. They killed a, a calf, put the blood all over his coat, and took it back to to Jacob, and, and Jacob thought that Joseph was long gone. He was dead because they lied. They said a, a lion came out and destroyed him, and, 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 and only his, his cloak is left, and, and here's his blood. And, and, and Jacob was, oh, my, what are we going to do? But you see, the thing about it is Joseph had had the dream, and God knew what would be the situation in the future. Now, God allowed Joseph to go down to Egypt, and God allowed him to be elevated after he was down there for about 20 years. He was in prison while he was down there, but did Joseph get down the dumps when he was in prison? Oh, absolutely not. When he was lied on by Potiphar's wife, did he get down in the dumps? Absolutely not. Oh, now, he may have been depressed momentarily. You see, I think there... I think that certain things that come your way, like depression, is very healthy if it doesn't last for a long period of time. Because sometimes you need to stop long enough to, and be serious to find out exactly what's wrong. Some people can be so shallow and so superficial that, you know, everything happens, oh, everything's all right, everything's all right. Well, we're not talking about lying about things. You know, you can say everything's all right and maybe it's not all right. But at the same time, you can make a true confession of where you think you are, but at the same time say, but I'm still looking up that I believe that Jesus Christ is my Redeemer, and I believe He will lift me up out of this situation, and I don't believe that there's a devil in hell that's big enough to destroy me if I keep my eyes on my Lord. And that's a secret, keeping your eyes on God. So we're not trying to to teach you to be so superficial and shallow in your thinking that you just ignore the things that that are happening. So I think every now and then when you're making an evaluation of yourself and examining yourself, surely you're going to get depressed somewhat. But you see, he didn't stay down. See, it's, it's like failing. See, there's a difference between failing and failure. Failing is a temporary thing. Failure is permanent. 
when people know that they failed, what do they do? They get up and say, I'll try again. But people who accept themselves as being a failure, they don't get up, friend. You go around telling yourself, I'm a failure. Everything I try to do. Somebody told me that just this morning. And listen to me. Somebody told me this morning, said, Brother Carl, I'm a failure. I have never done anything right. Now, I've never seen anybody like that in my life. Never. Everything I do is wrong. That's not true. You know that's not true. And there's no need telling yourself that. See, the problem, the problem is that this individual's had one pity party too many. You understand what I'm saying? He has accepted himself as being a failure. There is a difference between failure. How many times have you failed, Brother Grant? I've failed many, 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 many times, but I don't consider myself to be a failure. Failing is temporary. To be a failure is permanent. I've had my feet in the cement many times, but I got them out before the cement got hard. See? But some people just leave them in there until it gets hard and they just can't pick their feet up anymore. And they, they say, well, I'm a failure. And they've accepted that they are indeed a failure. And I'm sure that Joseph was down momentarily. I believe that anybody that's human, when you're placed in prison, you're not going to feel good about it. And we might as well be real about some of these things. But sure, you're going to get depressed momentarily. But after you collect your thinking and you pray to God, and oh, you're not going to stay down like that. When's the last time you've been depressed, Brother Grant? Well, this week when I worked on the buses. Brother Washburn can tell you, he came by and, and he gave me a lot of uh, help. Really, I had already contacted someone. I was going to sell all the buses. And I was ready to suffer the consequences. What if all your bus people, you will, you'll not catch me working on a bus again. And man, I just, whoa. Oh, Brother Washburn came by and sounds worse than this. Now listen. <clears throat> And you know the way I feel right now? I wish we had a parking lot full of buses. <laughs> now, isn't that something? Now, what is, what is the difference? What, what happened between Monday and Sunday? See? I've got to tell you this. Listen to me. There have been times when I preached here on Sunday night, and I thought that this was the greatest church in the world. There is no church equivalent to Calvary Gospel Church. And I have approached you on Thursday night, and after hearing some of your problems after church Thursday night, I thought this has got to be the biggest mess that I've ever been involved in in my life. <laughs> now, it didn't change that fast, did it? It couldn't have. It was the way I was accepting 
the situation. And you know yourself that all of a sudden, you know, you oh, we have a booming, great Sunday night service. You're shouting the victory and clapping your hands. Oh, this is so great. And, and maybe Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you get a little story by somebody that told something on you or something wasn't quite right. And all of a sudden you get discouraged. You say, I think I'll just quit the church. That's the biggest mess I've ever seen. Come on, have you ever? Oh, you know good and well. You know that I'm telling you the truth. Well, now, it didn't just turn from the greatest church on the earth to the biggest mess you've ever seen in four days. And I'm not saying that it's not harmful. Or I'm not saying that it's even harmful to you to feel that way momentarily. Because I think every now and then you need to stop to say, at least long enough to think about what will make this a greater church than what it is. How can I contribute? How can I help? And a prerequisite for a brighter tomorrow is dissatisfaction with today. But when I speak of dissatisfaction, I'm not talking about dissatisfaction from the standpoint of just saying, oh, I can't make it and it's terrible, I'm going to give up. No, that's not what I'm talking about. No, I'm talking about a man who looks at, at the present need and he realizes that, that, that his productivity in the kingdom of God is not what it ought to be. And so as a result, when he goes before God, there is a moment, moment of, of, of seriousness that sweeps over his soul and he sees the, the awesomeness of his responsibility and he feels like I wasn't doing what I ought to do today but by God's grace and God's help I'll do more tomorrow and I'll have more victory tomorrow than what I had today. Friend, that only comes that way when you keep your eyes above. When you keep looking above and, and recognizing that your strength coming from God God is the superior and you are the subordinate. And you can't just climb up where he is. He's got to reach down for you. But make sure when he reaches, friend, that you've got outstretched arms. And your faith and your eyes are looking upon him. I need you, God. I need you, God. I need you, God. Why is it when we pray we lift our hands? In the Bible they lifted their hands. Don't you know that God is not only up, he's down also? How come you don't do like this? I can prove to you according to Scripture that He is down just as much as He's up. How come you don't reach out like this? How come we're up like this? In the Bible they did that. When Paul admonishes Timothy, he said, Holy men ought to lift up their hands always without wrath or doubt. How come he didn't say they ought to let them hang down? He said, don't let them hang down. How come? Because there's something about this reaching down that plays a real number on you indeed. And I can prove to you according to Scripture that he's down just as much as he's up because he's really everywhere. But we don't reach down for him, do we? This is recognition of our need Pick me up, God. Lift me up. All of our hymns, lift me up above the shadows. I see the Lord. He's high and He's lifted up. One of these days, 
The dead are going to get up. It doesn't say they're going to crawl out the bottom of the grave. <laughs> he's going to come back in the eastern clouds. It didn't say he's going to come back in the oil pits below. Isn't that right? Praise God. He's coming back after his people. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. When he ascended, he went to the Mount of Olives, and that's where he ascended. The great victory at Calvary, which momentarily would look like a defeat, friend. It happened on a mountaintop. When he was transfigurated, friend, he was transfigurated on a mountain. When the Holy Ghost fell, friend, it didn't fall in the basement. It fell in the upper room. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And when Jesus Christ comes back, friend, he's coming back in the eastern sky. And our eyes are going to be looking at him. Praise God, praise God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's lift our hands right now and worship the Lord. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name. I feel victory. Let's clap our hands. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, glory to God. You know, it's also amazing to me, and I have drawn this parallel in two other messages I've preached here. But in Revelation 17, when John saw, when John saw <clears throat> the false church that went into the tribulation period after the true church had been raptured, the Bible says, Revelation 17, 1, And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Now the false church is called the great harlot, because that she has committed fornication with the political system of the world. Okay? The kings of the earth, the Bible says. Now verse 2, With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now notice what's happened. So he carried me away in the spirit. Now this is John writing this. And now God's going to carry him away to show him this false church. He carried me away in the spirit unto the mountain. No into the wilderness. And wilderness, the wilderness and the valley is symbolical of depression and defeat. See. Now if you turn back to Revelation 4, <clears throat> you're going to see the church in heaven in Revelation 4. <clears throat> Revelation 4, verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard 
was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither. And I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set up in heaven, and one set on the throne. Praise God. Now John was in the Spirit. In other words, God was allowing him in a vision form to see these things. And when John saw the church, it was a door that was set up in heaven. And he went through that door up into heaven. But when he saw the false church in the book of Revelation, which is called the great harlot that sits upon many waters, where did he see her? He carried me away in the spirit to a wilderness. Now you may say, oh, yeah, but, but remember this. It's also in this one chapter here when the actual physical description is given, this false church actually sets up on seven hills. But tell me why then, when the Spirit took him on this journey, why didn't the Spirit say, let's go up on the seven hills to see her? Doesn't say that, does it? No. It does not say that. Why? Because God was spiritually allowing you to see her location in the spirit world. Let's go where? To the deltas, to the jungles, to the valley. Symbolical of defeat and depression. In Revelation 21, <clears throat> And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. Now, doesn't this sound like victory? Doesn't it sound like victory? Neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. Oh, if we didn't have aches and pains, wouldn't that be great? For the former things are passed away. What does it mean the former things? The things that are here, sorrow, crying. All of these things were entered into the world as a result of sin. When sin entered into the world, back in the early chapters of the book of Genesis, this is what accompanied it. This is the aftermath of sinful living. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I will make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. 
And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh, notice this, he that overcometh, doesn't say he that digs under, shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and the unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now notice what happens. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride and the Lamb's wife. Now we're about to see it. We're about to see the spiritual location of it. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and a high mountain. And he showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. The spiritual location of the holy city where he carried me away in the Spirit then to a great and a high mountain. Jesus said, ye are a city that's set upon a hill. Why did he say that? Because there is constant victory in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's lift our hands now and let's worship the Lord. Praise God. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Praise God. Oh, thank God. I'd like you to stand with me at this time. And I want to read the text that I read at the beginning of my lesson today. And I will lift up mine eyes to the hills which cometh my strength or my help. Psalm 121. Now verse 2. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. My favorite psalm is Psalm 92, or Psalm 91, pardon me. And, and I would just like to read Psalm 91 at, in the closing of this message. If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn there. <clears throat> he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Praise God. He is above us, isn't he? That's why there's a shadow beneath him. That's why we can live in it. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence 
that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. Now you notice what we're saying here, that, that God takes these complexes away because we have perfect confidence in Him. In other words, why should I fear? Why should I go always through life looking down? You see, a thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder. The young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample underfoot. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore, notice this, I will deliver him. This is God speaking. I will set him on high. Friend, we're going to the holy city. We're going to the high mountain. That's where the bride was. I expect to be part of that bride that John saw in the spirit. When the Lord took him on that spiritual voyage and he carried me away in the spirit to a high mountain. That's where he saw the bride. The church is raptured then, friend. I expect to be on that hill. And this is what the psalmist is saying. That if you have perfect confidence in God, and you trust in Him, and you do not fear, and you understand the angels protect you, and you also understand that there's constant victory in the Lord, I will set my love on you, he says. I will deliver you, and I will set you on high. Why? Because... He hath known my name. Do you know his name? We wear his name, don't we? We publish his name. There is none other name. And his name is Jesus. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will do what? Deliver him. And I will honor him. With long life. Will I satisfy him and show him my salvation? Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's lift our hands all over the building now to our God who is so great. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Sing, I see the Lord. I see the Lord. I see the Lord. I see the Lord. He is high and lifted up, and his train. Temple, he is high and lifted up, 
before we sing it again, on both sides of the pulpit, there is a place to kneel and pray. Now, I know that some of you are feeling a touch from the Lord. Some of you are kneeling already and lifting up to the Lord. That's great. If we have somebody here who has never surrendered their life to the Lord, we would like for you, however, to come to the front. We have Christian workers throughout our building that would be delighted to come and kneel with you and pray with you and instruct you in the way of the Lord. So as we sing it again, make your way and give your heart to the Lord. Would you Listen, Jesus is coming back just like he said. Praise God. And I believe that his coming is very, very soon. Do you believe that? I see the Lord.